as you can tell by the smile on my face and Laura's face, we, we're just so overwhelmed with the way that God has brought his kingdom to bear in the life of this community over the last year. Uh, you know, a year ago, we, we went in this building. Um, we had a much smaller staff team. Tom and Jacinta hadn't joined us from the UK. Lots of other team hadn't arrived yet. Um, and at the same time, we were separating from being part of Vintage Church LA legally and financially and becoming our own thing. And all of those things hit really quickly, one after the other after the other. And you might imagine that like, financially, that is a very scary thing for a church plant. Um, but I just wanted to give very quick testimony as we come to take up our offering um, that God has been so kind to Vintage through all of your generosity that over the last year, we have uh, had exactly what we have needed. <laughs> Not a lot more. No less, but in every area of need that's come up over the course of the year, God has provided amazingly for the church. And so thank you for partnering with us financially. Thank you to all of you who give faithfully every week or every month to tithe. Um, we're incredibly grateful for you. And this morning, if, you, if you'd like to join us in an offering, you can do that using the normal ways, the app, the Church Center app, or the QR code, or um, Adam of the Wonderful Beard will come round. <laughs> Um, and happily um, take money from you. Uh, shall I pray? <laughs> Father, thank you. Thank you that you've been so kind, so kind, so good to us. You've been so loving and faithful, and you provided everything we've needed. And so we know there's so much more to come, but even as we give now, would you multiply this uh, small thing and multiply it and use it not just here, but all over the world to bring your kingdom to bear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I remember one morning uh, sitting in church. Laura and I were just uh, married. She was the all-star kids pastor at this large church in the south of England. I was just this young upstart entrepreneur working elsewhere. And it was a morning like this, and, and the, the preacher was in full flow, and this big congregation were all sitting there, and you know they were doing the right things of smiling at the appropriate moments and nodding and occasionally chuckling out loud, as you're supposed to do in church. Um, but I remember looking around at, all the people who were sitting near me. I couldn't believe it. There were people that I knew, but I looked around thinking, wow, isn't it incredible who's here this morning? There were amazing communicators. There were creatives. There were people who were awesome with kids, gifted finance people, techie people, administrators, hospitality people, just all around me were these incredibly gifted people. And the preacher was finishing off his sermon, and he did, and we sang the final song, and everybody stood up as they do, and they said good morning, and they took a coffee, and they went home. And the next week, I remember they came, they came back, and they sat in the same seats, and they did the same kind of nodding procedure and smiling procedure, and the, the gifted professional Christians stood up on the stage, and they did all the stuff, and then in the other groups, the professionals did their things, and this amazing group of people just sat there and they nodded and they smiled and they went home. But inside me, something was like churning up. Like, you know, sometimes when you get like really quite frustrated, it was like a bit of a holy, like discontent that was bubbling up in me because it went like this. God, is this really what you meant the church to look like? Is this really what you had in mind when you talked about the church throughout Scripture, like that some professional people would stand up there somewhere and everybody else would just nod? Is that really what this thing is supposed to look like? Well, we're in this series of thinking about what the church is for. And um, I, thank you for, for just filling in that little QR code. We're going to show the results a bit later. And I don't know what, it, what one word you would use to describe vintage. But I wonder if anyone 
use this word. It's the word I used. It's the word us. Us. The church, vintage, is us. It's us being together. It's us serving together. It's us seeking God's kingdom together, growing together. I don't know when it happened, but at some point in the last 2,000 years, something flipped. Somewhere along the line, people stopped talking about the church as us, and they started talking about attending churches. They started talking about denominations and buildings and movements and service times. But it strikes me there's not one place in the Bible where that is the description of a church. A church is the gathered people of God in a particular time and space. And maybe, therefore, because we've flipped what the understanding of church is, maybe we've missed what Jesus really intended it to be. And maybe even more than that, maybe we've also missed something of who he intended us to be. And so this morning, we're going to look at one of these amazing passages of a description of what a church is supposed to be. And I just want to say, if you're here visiting this morning, or maybe some friends dragged you along, and you're like, I wouldn't call myself a Christian, I'm just checking this thing out, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us this morning. And I hope that you'll capture a vision for something that is beautiful and different, and that might make you want to find out a little bit more. So we're going to get our reading, uh, which I think Nira is going to bring for us. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, uh, it's always good to have them open in front of you. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Not if the foot, now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, 
so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. The word of the Lord. God. Thank you, Nera. So here's the context. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. It's a multicultural, bustling, growing city. And within it, the church too is bustling and growing. But there's a problem. In fact, there's a number of problems. The church is not at all healthy. Because inside the church, there is this growing sense of fighting, of comparison, of one-upmanship. And it's all about the spiritual gifts. Who is the most holy? Who's got it all together? Who's the anointed people? It's a bit like a game of top trumps. I don't know, did anyone play top trumps when they were a kid? Was that a thing here? Don't think it was. Okay, I'm going to teach you top drums one day. But it was like, oh, you've got the gift of prophecy. That's okay. I've got the gift of tongues. Oh, you've got the gift of prophecy. Oh, I can do healings. And it was like, who is more important than who is more important than who? And therefore, looking down on everyone else who was just a mere mortal for their lack of incredible outward spiritual gifts. Maybe it was a little bit like today, someone saying, oh, wow, that person. Like they're on the prayer team. They are the anointed ones. Or that's the worship leader. He is the anointed one. Or that's the person who serves the donuts. They are the anointed one. <laughs> but what Paul's doing is he writes them and says, guys, you have totally misunderstood everything that it means to be a part of the church. And what he gives instead is this incredible picture, which alongside the picture of light, which we talked a few weeks ago, might be my favorite picture of all about what it means to be the church. And he says this, we are part of a body, the body. 1 Corinthians 12, just as a tw as verse 12, as a body has, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. What Paul's doing is he's actually joining together three things. He says, followers of Jesus, number one, the church as the gathering of those believers, number two, and Christ Jesus himself, and there is a joining together of all of those things. It's this mystical and complicated union. The ancient church father, Augustine, says this, we are he, Jesus, in that we, the church, are his members, in that we are his body, in that he is our head in that the whole Christ is both head and body. It's a bit mind-bending, but what he's basically saying is that there is no real division between us as the followers of Jesus, the gathered body of the church, and Christ himself on the earth. As one theologian said, in order to accomplish his works on earth, Jesus had a body made of flesh and blood. 
In order to accomplish his works today, Jesus has a body that consists of living human beings. The picture that Paul's giving is not of an organization or an institution or a movement of a denomination, but of all these different types of people. Maybe one's an eye, one's a nose, one's the little toenail, one's the bicep, all coming together to form this beautiful, intricate thing that Christ dares to call his body. A church is not an organization, it is the gathering of different people of different types of skills and abilities and giftings coming to be Christ's body on the earth. And because that's true, Paul says, well, there, if we see the church like that, then three things have to be true. The first thing he says is this, is that we need one another. Desperately, earnestly, importantly, need one another. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't for that reason stop being part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't, for that reason, stop being part of the body. Verse 21, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. A church, a body, needs all of its parts. It'd be absolutely ridiculous for a body to go, well, actually, I don't really need that leg. It's unimportant. That kidney, I don't really need that kidney or that ear. It's not important. Of course not. A, A body needs all of its parts in the same way that a church Needs all of its shapes, people, abilities, gifting, skills, and personalities. And that there's this wonderful sense of interdependence that happens if you think about it that way. A few years ago, I had to have eye surgery. Um, and in the week after I had eye surgery, even though it was only in one eye, like I could not be in any situation or setting where there was any light whatsoever. I, I literally lived in a dark room, completely pitch black for a week. And it didn't matter that my, my legs were fine. Didn't matter that my other eye was fine. Didn't matter that every other part of me was okay. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't be all that I was made to be because my eye was hurting. I don't know if any of you have ever hurt your back. And if you've arrived this morning with back pain, we would love to pray for you before you go home because back pain sucks and God can heal it. But it doesn't matter if you have a really bad back how big your biceps are, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how fast your legs might be able to carry you. You are not going anywhere. And Paul says it's exactly the same in the body of Christ. We celebrate when when parts of the body celebrate and we weep when parts of the body weep because we are only actually as strong as our weakest part. In fact, he goes even further because he doesn't just say every part is important. He doesn't just say like, oh, the whole world should like recognize the different parts. He actually says, isn't it really interesting that in a body, it's often the hidden parts that are the most important. I mean, I don't know if you've ever, you know, talking to a friend going like, oh, wow, that girl, look at the inner ear bones on that girl. You know, look at the kidneys on her, <laughs> right? It's just weird, don't do that, right? You, we don't talk like that, but if your inner ear bones, which are totally hidden and tiny, don't work properly, you can't hear. If your kidneys don't work, you're in big trouble. In a body, it's actually often the small and hidden things which are pretty much the most important. And what Paul's saying to this church is, you guys are so obsessed with people who stand on stage or have spiritual gifts or can do this kind of stuff, but you forget that every tiny part needs honoring because every part is necessary for the body to operate. No one is unnecessary. Everybody is indispensable. 
The church can only be the church when all of its parts work properly and come together. So we need one another. But we also, secondly, he says, we are really different from each other. Now, difference in the world is a problem, if you've noticed this, but it's when we look at other people and we go, oh, well, you're different from me. Oh, and then we make a generalization, right? Oh, and you must therefore be that kind of person. And then we make a judgment about that type of person, and then we say, well, those type of people are like that, and before you know it, we have prejudice. We have all those isms. Well, in the body, difference is beautiful. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. Diversity is absolutely necessary. We talk about spiritual gifts being this and that and different things. We talk about our abilities, our experiences. But that's actually really beautiful because when God made you and he made me, he made us different. You have so many things that I don't have. You have more hair for a start that I don't have. You know, you, you can do things that I can't do. When God made you, he made you uniquely and beautifully and wonderfully in a specific way because he needed you and he needed me. And he knew that I wouldn't have it all and you wouldn't have it all. And so therefore he needed both of us so that we could work it out together. Your Bishop Todd last week, he talked about his wife, Debbie, and said, Debbie would never stand on a stage and speak to people. And I know Debbie, and he's right. She will never stand on a stage. But he also said, but she used to cook lunch for 150 people. Like, throwaway comment. 150 people. I can't cook lunch for 10 people, let alone 150. If you know Laura and I, we are totally opposites. And that's brilliant. Because I get to stand on a stage and be really noisy and do stuff, and she mops up all of the messes that I make and all the things that I get wrong. She makes sure everybody is okay at the end of the day. We're different. All of us are different, but that is beautiful. And what it means is, therefore, that the church can look totally different from the world outside it because it not only honors diversity, it's desperate for diversity. In, in the early Greek and Roman culture, it was a world maybe not unlike ours sometimes, which was deeply divided. Greeks and Romans and Jews and slaves and free. People did not hang out together. And yet the church was radically different because all of those people came together under the headship of Christ, recognizing that they are needed and necessary and that the beauty comes when we come together under Christ as our frame or under Christ as our head. It's wonderful. But sadly, I think you know, we in churches have not always got that right. As one theologian says, rather than build up a community out of diversity, we often, try to, we often tend to let each subgroup form its own unit and grow in isolation from other natural groupings. The community which is alive to the Spirit is committed by Scripture to the costly struggle of living out the reconciliation of all men to one another and to God. This is what the church is supposed to look like. You know, this, um, this last week, uh, my son, who's just gone into middle school, he and some of his buddies who are up in our middle school this morning, they all go to the same school, and they, they had their first band performance. Like They all had their instruments out, and they wore white shirts for the first time in their lives and looked really smart. And you know, my family, of course, couldn't be there, and Laura's family couldn't be there. But we were sitting in one row, and in front of us was another family from church. But to the right, all the way across the row, all the way across the row, were their middle school 
youth leaders. Different ages, like from 20 to just a little bit more than 20, you know, all the way across the spectrum, cheering these boys on, loving on these boys, celebrating these boys. I was like, we couldn't do that. We needed them to be what we don't have, to be the family that those kids don't have right now. That's what the church is supposed to look like, this beautiful picture of diversity. But then the third thing Paul says is then, as we do that work of diversity and interdependence, we really recognize that we are therefore to care and to serve together. This is where we get to our purpose, to why God even made you and me in the first place. Mark Twain says famously, what are the two most important days in your life? One, the day you were born, and then the day that you find out why. We think, don't we, often in the world, like the job is to be the best I possible, or the best ear possible. Like, you are going to be blinded by my incredible eye. You know, like, I'm going to be the shiniest, most beautiful, colorful, gifted eye in the world, and everyone else will celebrate how wonderful my eye, that I am an eye. When actually, when you take this understanding of what it means to be alive, you realize my job is not to be impressive and deep and in my own being an eye. It's actually to be a small part of something wonderful and beautiful and far beyond me called the body of Christ. Maybe Paul today would have used, you are a small cog in a Lego Technic model. <laughs> or you are the small screw that sometimes can get lost when you're making an Ikea piece of furniture. <laughs> I don't know what he would have used, but the point is that every part is unique and beautiful and wonderful and necessary for the body, his body, to become what it's meant to be. As David Pryor says, the Greek word synekrison has the basic meaning of mixing together the different parts with a specific purpose in mind, i.e. to produce mutual support and interdependence. The word may be used of mixing colors. God wants the members of a local church to recognize how much they depend on one another. So the invitation is that not only would we be different, but we would bring all that we are together to serve the body. For a body to work, every part of it has to serve each other in synchrony under the leadership of the head. You know, if this morning at the end of the service, I smell the last donut out in the lobby and the middle schoolers haven't stolen it yet. And my brain says to me, okay, Ben, you can get that last donut, you can have it and I start like heading for the back, and my leg decides, actually, Ben, I'm staying here. <laughs> or I'm going over there because I'm a bit busy and I'm tired and I've had a long week. I'm not going to the back. For a body to work, every part has to serve not its own agenda and its own desires and its own wants. It has to serve the bigger picture under the head. And that's how a body, it's what a church is supposed to look like. Even though sometimes it's costly, Sometimes it feels a bit too sacrificial when it's seven o'clock on a Sunday morning and it would be easier to do other things. Even when you've had a long day or a long week, that's the invitation of the church, is to serve and prefer and care for one another. Now that can feel a bit hard, I realize, but it's actually something really beautiful because it's also the way that God designed you to grow. To grow in the most holistic, beautiful complete spiritual way, God said, this is the ecosystem by which 
people grow. I saw this study. Um, I was surprised by it, actually. October 2022, um, Barna surveyed 2,000 U.S. adults. So not just Christians, like people from all walks of life. And three out of four, 74%, said that they wanted to grow spiritually in the next year. Isn't that interesting? Maybe here this morning, you're like, I'm not a Christian, but I like the idea of spirituality, and I'd love to have a spiritual dimension to my life. I want to grow spiritually. Well, the good news is, is that you're in exactly the right place, because this is the ecosystem. This is the way that God designed you to grow spiritually within the body, his body of believers. But how does that work? Well, Actually, it works in the same way that anything works if you're trying to grow. The first thing you need is you need great input. Great input. Some of you, even at this stage in life, you are investing loads and loads and loads of money, and you're probably trying to forget about it, in tuition to study a school or a seminary because you know that for you to be what you want to be, you need great theory. You need great people who are going to teach you and help you to understand how things work. You know, that happens here at Vintage when we all the time put loads of effort into courses and groups and sermons and theory and teaching and resources. We want to teach people to know something about who they are. But actually, if you're trying to grow, that isn't actually enough. Sadly, in the church, often we've thought that was enough. We said to people, oh, you want to grow this year? Great, 50 sermons. If you're really serious, 100 sermons. And if you're not fully formed yet, just wait a few more decades, because then you'll have enough thousands of sermons under your belt. Then you'll be ready for heaven. Well, that's part of the story. But it isn't the big story, because if you want to be a teacher or a doctor or an engineer, or you want to be an artist you want to be anything, you'll know really that you need more than theory. You need great theory, but you also need to get great practice. Get great practice. I um, saw Ed Sheeran uh, on, a, on a talk show recently, that other wonderful ginger British guy. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he was being interviewed, and, and the host said, Ed, did you, did you get born as this incredibly gifted like singer, songwriter, guitarist? Did you just, were you just like that as a kid? And he kind of laughed, and he pulled out his phone and scrolled through it and found a recording of himself at the age of 15 years old, and he played it into his microphone on like, like global television. And it was awful. <laughs> like, it, was, it sucked, and he knew it sucked. Everyone else knew it sucked. And everyone was like flabbergasted. They're like, wow, well, what happened, Ed? And he's like, people think that greatness is born. People think that greatness is what just naturally happens to some people. He said, of course not. I had brilliant teachers, but guess what? I practiced. And I practiced, and I honed it, and I worked it until I got as good as I needed to be. You need theory and you need practice in every part of your life. Um, I really hope this year that you don't need to go and get a surgery from a doctor. I really hope that you don't. But one of the, the gifts of LA, which I'm still coming to terms with, is the fact that you can actually sometimes choose what doctor you, you use. Imagine like this year you need your spleen out. I don't know what a spleen is, so, but let's say you need to get it out. right? And so you, you, you call up the first doctor and you're like, hey, doctor, 
Like, I, I, I really need my spleen out. Can you tell me why I should, I should get you to take it out? And they say, oh, well, you know, I, uh, I've got eight degrees. I, I've got one from USC. I've got one from UCLA. A little bit awkward there. I've got one from Harvard. Yeah, I've got one from MIT. I've got all these degrees. Absolutely incredible. I've been studied under the best doctors in the world. And so you say to them, oh, that's great. Like, how many times have you, you taken people's spleens out? Oh, never, never. I've, I've, never, I've never actually operated on anybody. I've never done surgery before, but I know how it's supposed to work. I think you'd be pretty quick to go, I'll call you. <laughs> don't call me. <laughs> like, don't call me. And so then you go to the second doctor, right, and you say, hey, doctor, like, can you tell me how many times have you pre performed this surgery before? And the doctor goes, oh, I've done this thousands of times. Like, I started doing this when I was 13 years old on my guinea pig in the garage. You know, like, I know exactly how to do this. I've done this on so many different people. And you say, oh, that's wonderful. Like, where did you study? Oh, I didn't go to medical school. No, I just looked at some YouTube videos and started in the garage. You know, that's how we learn right nowadays. It would be nonsense. You need the theory and you need the practice in order to grow. And that's exactly how Jesus intends growth to look in the church too. You know, Jesus, he called those first 12 people together and they were a mess. You know what he said to them? He's like, okay, we're going to have one-on-ones and we're going to have three-on-ones and we're going to have 12-on-ones and we're going to have 72-on-ones and we're going to have all these different things going on and it's going to be absolutely fantastic. And then what did he do? He sent them out. He sent them out into the world. He said, go out, cast out the demons, heal the sick, you can do it. I can't imagine the look on their faces when he said that. But a little bit later on, it records in the Gospels that they came back and it said, they came back rejoicing, rejoicing because they found out that it worked. In fact, what they said is, hey, Jesus, that worked really well. It was exactly what I thought. And then another person said, oh, that doesn't work really well. Let's, what do we do about that? And Jesus said, well, it's a bit like this and it's a bit like that. The church is this place where we're supposed to figure out who God called us to be and to serve within it to grow and grow and grow. I love that idea. You know, I didn't, once upon a time, I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to be a preacher. In fact, I'll let you into a secret. I really wanted to be Tom Reed. That's what I wanted. You know, I... I just wanted to be a worship pastor. I wanted to play guitar. I wanted to play keys and, and be really good. And so for years, I was like, I'm going to be that guy. And then I realized I wasn't very good at being that guy. And so then I thought, I'm going to be a youth pastor. And I worked with youth for a while. And then I worked with kids for a while with Laura. And I did all these things. And not once ever did I think, oh, maybe God might call me to preach. I, it was nonsense. Until one day someone said, hey, Ben, we love that you do all these other things would you just do a little talk here? And I stood up with a microphone, scared witless, and gave my first talk. And I'm sure it sucked. But actually, I realized, because something inside me was like, oh, this is something different. I feel differently. You respond differently. There's something going on. People said, Ben, you have a gift of preaching. And then I had to figure out what to do with it. The church is the place where we're invited to try things and make messes of things and love one another, and encourage one another, because as we grow, here's what's also beautiful, the church grows too. As we grow, the church grows. It's why Paul says, follow the way of love, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. 
There is this inseparable way that God designed humanity, individual people, the church, and his body to grow together. As Olive Wyan says, the Christian ideal is not a number of integrated individuals concerned about their own spiritual progress, but of growth into Christ as members of the body of Christ in which we all live by the same life, which flows through the body and animates all of us. But that's actually not quite the end of the story. Because you could go, oh, wow, you know, churches are therefore going to be full of these incredibly gifted people who are going to love one another, and they're going to be these amazing holy huddles. But that's not the end of the story at all, because actually what's supposed to happen is that when the church does that, it overflows. It overflows out into the world. Luke 6 says this, give, give your best, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Or Malachi 3, which we often think is about money, but it's actually even bigger than that. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, into the church, that there may be food in my house. Test me, says the Lord, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be room enough to store it. You see, there's supposed to be this movement, which is that the life of the Holy Spirit comes to people, that those people get animated and full of the gifts and the abilities and the talents and the personality they were meant to have. And then the church grows and the church becomes all that it's meant to have. And then it flows out into the world. It flows out into the city. It brings light into darkness. It brings healing. It brings transformation. The end game is not actually what we do here on Sundays. Like, let's just get all the resources and everything we can to have a brilliant time. No, it's supposed to go out, overflowing into the world. And I want to finish um, just with a little bit of a vision and a story about, uh, about vintage for this year. Um, April 2021, if you can remember back then, most of us have blotted that from our memories, refused to acknowledge that those few years happened. But... We'd been in the pandemic for a year. Um, Vintage, Vintage was a one-year-old church. We were just getting ready to go back and have our first proper outdoor services. We'd been online for most of the year. And we were getting ready to baptize Caroline and Gina. I think they might be here this morning. It was amazing. And so just a few days before Easter, I went and sat up on the hillside at Sierra Madre at the retreat center and just looked out and said, God, what do you want to say for Vintage? And it was one of those kind of gray, misty kind of mornings, and everything was dark, you know, Sierra Madre and East Pasadena and Arcadia and South Pass, and even I could see down to downtown, and it was all dark and gray. But there was just this one strip where the clouds had parted, completely bright, completely lit up, and it was right over Old Town Pasadena. And I felt the Lord just remind me, he said, Ben, I, I'm calling you to the city, I remember thinking, yeah, but God, we're, like, we're basically an online church right now. We don't have connections to city. People can't even gather. What are we supposed to do? And you know, I wrote a few things down and thought about, okay, you know, families in the city, business people in the city, some of the things that God had said before about vintage. And we came down and we went on with the service. Well, this week, and the staff team and I, we went back up there for a day of vision and, and listening to the Lord. And I sat on that same spot and I looked out over that same view. And I saw, again, the city of Pasadena just brightly lit up in the distance. And I suddenly remembered 
April 2021, I'm calling you to the city of Pasadena. The same week, April 2022, we moved into this building. Isn't that incredible? And so I said, Lord, that's just nuts. Like you called us to the city a year later. We're right in the city. But what does that mean? What do you want from us? And I felt again, just the Lord give me that kind of sense of like the lost, the least, the lonely, the places where we're engaging and God is calling us to just bring good news of Jesus to bear. I was so thankful that last week we had our first ever food drive, food bank drive through here in the parking lot with Fuller. But I also felt God just remind me of another word. And it's the word resourcing. Now, when people talk of resource churches or resourcing churches, what they usually mean is massive churches that plant other churches. And I thought, well, God, that's fine, but you know, we're probably a good few years away before we're going to be ready to plant any churches of our, of our own. But I, I felt the Lord just remind me, it's like, no, Ben, resourcing is not what happens when you plant a church. It's a posture. It's an attitude. It's a way that you live, which is all about raising up and giving away. It's about giving your best away and away and away so that growth can happen beyond who you are. And I was reflecting with such thankfulness for our first preaching cohort that's just about to finish next month. And the first new preachers that will come out of this community and they're all going to preach in the next few months and you're going to get to hear them and they're going to be amazing and you're going to laugh at their jokes, just telling you. And I was reflecting at the 12 community group leaders that are currently being trained up and other community group leaders that have already been trained up. And I thought, this is who you're calling us to be. We're not a church that's just supposed to gather and have a nice time. We're actually about seeing God's kingdom come. And so whether it's through prayer ministry training, community group training, alpha training, discipleship training, kids and youth leader training, wouldn't it be incredible if we were the kind of church which raised people up and then one day released them to bring transformation wherever they end up? I mean, maybe even this morning, you're like a fuller student and God's called you to the city for a few years and you don't know what's going to happen next. Well, here's my prayer for you is that something about being at Vintage would impart something in your life that you will then take on. I don't know if you're going to be here for a few years. I don't know if you're going to be here for a, for a few decades. Some of you, maybe even for a hundred years with me. I don't know. But I wonder if that could be part of the story for Vintage. And I don't think it's just a pipe dream because I finished with this this little part of the story. At the beginning, I told you about feeling really angsty, really like on edge in that church service. Well, what the Lord did next was he actually opened up a door for Laura and I to go and plant out from that big church into a nearby city. And we went and we planted a church called Church at Four. And I wasn't ordained. I hadn't even been to seminary. We went with some of those other people who were just sitting all around us. But we went because God was calling us to be the church in a nearby place. And do you know what? It was a mess. <laughs> that church, you wouldn't be impressed by the preaching. You definitely wouldn't have been impressed by the preaching. You wouldn't have been impressed by the worship. You wouldn't have been impressed by the building or the budgets. But 12 years on, now that church has been going. And do you know what? It's still going. And you still wouldn't be impressed by the building. And you still wouldn't be impressed by the budgets. And you still wouldn't be impressed by the branding. But over the last 12 years, there are now 15 other churches around the world which are led by people who cut their teeth in leadership in that little community. Some of them were those same people who were sitting in that first church service wondering what they were for. 
There are missionaries who've been sent around the world. There are Ukrainian refugees who've been taken in by families in that church. There are youth pastors, in fact, like Matt Bird, who was the first teenager in that church 12 years ago, who have been called by God and are doing great things. You wouldn't be impressed by that church, but you might be impressed by the way that the kingdom has come through it. Wouldn't it be incredible if people said a vintage church in 50 years? Like God has done more through that church than we could have ever thought possible because he has raised people up and they found their gifting and they understood what their shape was and they understood what it was to serve and then they went out and they transformed the world. Wouldn't that be amazing? Do you know what Katy Perry, Bono, Martin Scorsese and Brad Pitt have in common? They all discovered their gifting and learned how to serve in churches. What happened after that is debatable (laughs) in some cases. But they learned what it was to find their gifting and serve in churches. That's my prayer. And so would you stand with me and I'm going to pray before we sing. Let's just take a moment to breathe. The Holy Spirit is already here. He's already moving, but we love to welcome him, appreciate him, invite him to speak. So just where you are, maybe you might just want to, it could be the first time you've ever done this, just say, hey Lord, if you've got something to say to me, I'd love to hear what you have to say to me today. Come, Holy Spirit.